0: One of my morning routines every single morning is to take one daughter to Rosenwald Dunbar Elementary School and another daughter to West Jessamine High School. And uh, on the way, on the way, we encounter people who are doing all kinds of things in their car. And I've noticed that the majority of the people that we encounter on Kentucky 29 going two or three miles an hour and stopping, two or three miles an hour and stopping, are doing other things than driving, okay? Some of them are shaving. Uh, we've seen people eating. They've been eating breakfast burritos. Uh, they've been eating apples, toast. Somebody was eating pancakes. <laughs> pancakes. Jill and I have a game. We actually count the cars on the way to the high school and we see how many people are doing something other than driving. And <laughs> we're not gonna share the data with you. It's unsettling. But <laughs> But people eat, people are putting on makeup, um, people are, uh, yeah, on Friday, on Friday, there was a couple clearly having a knockdown dragout fight, I felt for them, what a rough start to the day, but there it was, you know, passing us at two miles an hour, and so people do all kinds of things and of course there are a lot of people on their devices while they're driving and there's typically three positions okay position number one is crotch okay so it's on the seat in between their legs and they're glancing down i always tell my students when i teach a class at asbury no one looks down at their crotch and smiles naturally it's it's not it's not a behavior that you just do (laughs) on your own okay so So that's position number one. Position number one is between the legs, crotch. The other position is on the wheel. So there are some people that are people that kind of hold it as they're holding the wheels because both hands are still on the wheel, but they also have their phone. And then there are the third group of people, they have it extended. These people amaze me because it's like the phone is almost in the other seat. And, you know, but they want it up so that they can see what's going on. And all of these people that Jill and I encounter uh, are, only half in their car and then they're half somewhere else, which is why you have the fender benders that you do. And, and what's the thing that everybody says to the officer? Officer, I swear, I, I didn't see them. I didn't see them. And, and the officer's like, they were right in front of you. How could you not see them? It was a giant red truck, red. I didn't see them. Now, smartphones, of course, are everywhere. They're everywhere. And we're connected all the time. And we take our phones everywhere. If you're young, if you're a teenager, uh, 80% of teenagers sleep with their phones. I don't know if you know this, but 8 out of 10 teenagers sleep with their phones. And there's a reason for that, and I'll explain that in a minute. But half of all teenagers, half of all young people, never, ever, ever are without their phone for any reason, they never unplug. They're connected and it's connected and with them all the time uh 75 percent of americans admit to taking their phone into the bathroom which is why we need to redesign toilet paper holders and i know you've seen the facebook meme about toilet paper holders but these are actually real now you can buy them and i fully expect an a rubbed bronze finished version to be hitting the french store Target very very soon so that you have a place for your phone there in the bathroom A few years ago, I was at a uh, chamber event where everybody was dressed up, and um, I was going into the bathroom, and a very smartly dressed gentleman came in behind me, and he was on the phone. Now, um, since this isn't church, I'll have to explain this delicately. Ladies, uh, normally for a guy to use a urinal, it's very easy, quick, in and out. But when you're in a suit, it's, it's, it's more complicated because there are more pieces involved, okay? I'll just put it that way. There's, there are a lot of things to unbutton, unlatch, move aside, etc. okay? So, so this guy come, comes in, and he's on the phone, and he's got several steps to be able to, to, to relieve himself. They're in the bathroom, and sure enough, he has it cocked between his head and his shoulder, and of course, what happens? ka <laughs> Now... Thank goodness this was a waterless urinal, so there wasn't any bowl of water in the bottom. But still, I remember, I remember looking at him and going, you've got to be kidding me. Like, what are you thinking? Smartly dressed, pocket square. I mean, he had it going the whole nine yards. People will take their uh, smartphones into restaurants. When they're eating with friends and family, um, parents will often give a device to a younger child to keep that child occupied so that the grown-ups can have a real adult conversation. Um, And this is kind of how we have life today. Um, On the playground, parents will pull out and check from time to time what's going on. Did you know that in ERs across the country, they have reported over the last 10 years a dramatic increase in concussions among young children at playgrounds? Now, part of that is because parents are being really aggressive, and, and any time a kid bumps their head, they're taking them to the doctor now. So that's one thing. But the other, the other reason, of, it, of course, is they're just missing, oh my goodness, Johnny, let's put your head back on, you know, moments at the playground. As I've said, as I've said, we're connected all the time. Now, young people, I have been listening to you. I don't know if you know this, but among young people, say 14 to 30. Young people have a series of rules about smartphone use. And the first rule is very important, text or message first. That's the first line of communication. Uh, If you're a parent, you may have experienced this. You'll call your child, and they won't answer, but then you'll text them, and they'll respond immediately to the text. And you'll say, why didn't you pick up your phone? Well, see, the way it works is if you want to talk to them, you need to text first and ask if they can talk. So that's that's, that's a rule that young people have. Uh, Another rule that they have is uh, what I call, what uh, Sherry Turkle calls the rule of three. So if you're in a school event or you're at a restaurant or you're at an activity with a lot of your friends, it's okay to have your phone out and kind of drift in and out of the conversation as long as at least three people are engaged in the conversation at any time. So, what will happen in the midst of these conversations is, inevitably, somebody will say, wait, what? You mean Christy and David are, are engaged? What? Wait, what did I miss? Okay, because they're, they're drifting in and out of the conversation. So, wait, what? Is a common phrase that you will hear young people utter when they're together. Um, the third rule, and this is why 80% of teens sleep with their phones, they are fiercely loyal to their friends. If their friend has a need, especially an emotional need, they need to respond immediately. To not respond to a friend who needs you is is just a a horrific offense. And so, uh, Any text or message for help, particularly emotional help or emotional support, needs to be answered immediately. There's one exception to that rule about responding to texts immediately, and that has to do with uh, flirting. So if if, if you see, you know, if there's a girl you're interested, a guy you're interested in, and they text you, you're supposed to wait long enough to drive them a little nuts so that they're asking their friends, what's wrong? Do you think they got the text? Do they like me? Like... But if you wait too long, you can blow it. So there's this window and there's a debate about how long the window is before you respond to a text, a flirt text from somebody that is interested. The last rule that I've learned as I've been listening and talking to young people is, punctuation and emojis are critical, critical. Parents, you may have experienced this when you've texted your children and the text you get back from them is, are you mad, are you mad? It's because you didn't use the emojis and punctuation correctly, um, which is why when I'm emailing or texting young people, I just put smiley faces everywhere. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. We're good. We're good. It's okay. We're relationally good. Ding, 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 ding. See, happy face. We're good. Okay? Because there's a lot of anxiety. You know, you get this text, you haven't called. <laughs> okay are you mad right so smiley faces and emojis are very important I fully admit I don't understand all of these like I don't get emojis and and in the punctuation and how critical it is okay now during uh like the drivers that I encounter on the way to the high school every morning the fact of the matter is when you have a, a smartphone device you're distracted You're not really fully wherever you are. You're part somewhere else. And lest you think that I'm despairing smartphones, allow me to remind you that technology is neither good nor evil. Technology is a tool. It's not good, it's not bad, but how we use this tool can either make us more human or less human. And I want to talk about some ways that... um, we can th- something that we can do that could really make our key relationships more human. And in case you miss it, here's today's bottom line. On a regular basis, be fully present to the people in your life. There are people in your life that matter. On a regular basis, at certain times in certain places, be fully present. That means no devices. Be with them. I would ask you to do that because I don't know if you know this, but you're a relational being. You're a social being. You didn't learn to walk and talk on your own. You learned that in the context of relationships. You're a relational being. And you get it honestly because you're made in God's image. And I don't know if you know this, but God is a relational being. In the opening pages of Genesis, we're told that when God made people, he actually walked with them. It's a Hebrew euphemism that means close relationship. And there's a debate. Did God take some kind of physical form and literally and physically walk with Adam and Eve? What does that mean? I don't know. I know what the Hebrew word means. It means close relationship. God walked with Adam and Eve. They knew him. He knew them. They understood each other. And God is present with them when they're at their worst, when they've disobeyed and done the one thing God had forbidden them to do, But God's presence doesn't stop there. It's it's a big theme throughout the entire Bible. In Exodus 25, um, God leads his people by a cloud cloud during the day and a pillar of fire at night. And then he commands them, he says, I want you to build me a tabernacle, a tent. And what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to dwell in that tent. I'm going to dwell with you. And his presence in the tent is so powerful that when Moses goes into the tent to have these conversations with God and comes out, his face glows. Like right out of a Marvel movie, his face glows. And people are like, you need a veil. We can't look at you. You're scary, dude. God is with them. And the tent is mobile so that wherever the Israelites go, God goes with them. Uh, In Isaiah... The, uh, the nation is about to be invaded and God tells the prophet, there's a baby that's gonna be born and I want you to name that baby Emmanuel. And the reason I want you to name that baby Emmanuel is because every time somebody sees that kid, they're gonna be reminded that I am with you because Emmanuel means God with us. Well, of course, it comes to its full expression in the person of Jesus, right? Jesus is the true Emmanuel, God with us. God himself clothes himself with humanity, becomes human. Now, it's a fascinating thing to me, Uh, and we get to see God up front, up close. God is with us. Um, He enters into our pain and suffering, and he's Emmanuel. In Acts, when Jesus returns to heaven, uh, he says, I'm gonna send you the Holy Spirit. And what he means is, God's not just going to be with you. God's going to be in you. When you're gathered together in my name, I'm going to be in you. There's an indwelling. So the closeness of God gets even more intimate. In the 1960s, there were a couple of studies uh, that are famous that were done about how humans communicate with each other. And this is what they found. 55% is body language, 38% is tone of voice, 7% is the words that are used. Young people, I get why you need so many emoticons, because you're missing out on so much. Tone of voice, body language, everything communicates, And, and no matter how many emoticons you develop, I don't care if it's the steaming pile of poo. I don't care if it's the dancing taco. I don't care what the emoticon is. It's not going to fully capture what you get when you're physically present with someone else. If you follow Jesus, you're actually commanded to be with other believers. Did you know that? And it's not just in a worship service. Um, tucked away in the book of Hebrews, which almost nobody reads because it's very complicated and it's got a lot of Jewish imagery in it, which is a shame. The guy who wrote the book is basically making a case for how Jesus is just kick butt awesome. He says, oh, you think Moses is great? No, Jesus is better. You think all the high priests and sacrifice and all that stuff, but you had to do it over and over again? See, with Jesus one and done, Jesus is better. He's better than the angels. He's better than Moses. He's better than anything that's come along. Jesus is it, and when he's making that argument, he goes into this, and and we'll read this passage together and unpack it. This is the text we're in today, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 and following. And so, all right, and so, in light of the fact that we've been made right with God, in light of the fact that you're now heirs to the Son, in light of the fact that you're now reconciled completely and have been made clean by a better way, in light of that, Dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place, intimacy. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promises. He's saying, look, in in light of all of these things that are true about you, go right into God's presence. Without wavering, you see that verse there? Uh, How does it, uh, it's in there. I can find it in my text. Without wavering, hold tightly to the hope. It's aklanes, that which does not bend. In other words, do you want to be consistent Do you want to be consistent with your husband, your wife? Do you want to be consistent in your relationships? Do you want to be consistent in holding on to the hope that you have? Do you want that kind of consistently? Do you not want to be all over the road? Well, then, if that's the case, verse 24, let's think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works, and let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near not neglect our meeting together when i grew up in the baptist church this verse was used as kind of a now let's not neglect the meeting together you know the lord's house is open sunday mornings sunday nights and wednesday nights and i expect to see you all here it's right there in the bible the lord god commands it not for sec, the you know okay and I, that's what i thought this meant now there's a brilliant guy, he's dead now, but Professor Bruce, he never got a PhD, but the guy was just brilliant. And he, he didn't need a PhD to be brilliant. And he, and he says, that's not what that means. You gotta know the word, you gotta understand the context. You, can, you need to know what's going on in the first century in these churches. It's a, it's a word made up of two words. Epi, some of you know this because you have Epi pens, clear, okay? But Epi, Epi, soon Synagogue, synagogue, synagogue. Epi, meaning in addition to, synagogue. See, in the first century, early Christians would do two things. They'd go to synagogue together, and then they were in each other's homes. They were with one another. Acts tells us this. And so what the writer of Hebrews is saying, don't stop doing, is don't stop doing this epi, synagogue, Understand that's how you're gonna hold tightly to the hope that you have, if you're with each other, with. God is with us, and we're commanded to be with one another. And I would argue today that being with someone at times is going to mean being fully present, being fully present. There are some people in your life who matter. Parents, family, I don't know who, there's some key friends that really matter. And they need you. They need you to be fully there sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes. And they need your undivided attention and they need to know that you are hearing them and understanding them. So in light of this, in light of what we see about God, in light of the fact that we're commanded to be with one another, who in your life right now gives you the gift Of being fully present do you have anyone in your life who gives you that i hope so i hope so who in your life gives you the gift of being fully present and then who are the people in your life right now that matter most who are they how often do you give them the gift of being fully present when are you fully present with them is there any time during the week when you're alone with just your own thoughts and nothing else? So what can you and I do, right? What can we do in light of this? I I try to be as practical as I can. Sherry Turkle, who is not a Christian, not a Jew, she's just an MIT professor, she says, you know, you ought to decide where and when there are spaces in your life that are no device zones. She recommends three. She says, I think for any family living in America today, it ought to be the case that the kitchen is a no-device zone. The family table, whether that's in the kitchen or the dining room, the family table is a no-device zone. And the car is a no-device zone. I, again, the car thing's practical because you're going to hit fewer things and people. But then... It's the weirdest thing. Sometimes Jill and I will have a conversation, and sometimes, literally, we will not say a word to each other. We will drive from our house all the way to the high school, 15 minutes, and be in silence together, watching the cars, watching everything unfold. It's a lost art, being with someone with not saying anything. Uh, But there's something powerful that happens when you do that. Um... So parents, how do you do this? I know your kids are gonna fight this and it's possible, they may not. If you have teenagers, they ought to be part of the deciding of where these zones are. So it should be a family decision, not something that you as the parent are on Mount Sinai. I have now come down, having spoken to God Almighty, there will be no devices in, okay? You could do it that way. You could. (laughs) You could. But you're gonna find that you might get better ownership if you have a conversation. So if you got... Middle school and high school students, you all should be talking about this together. Where in our family are device-free spaces? Okay? And if you've got little kids, this is what you tell them. Uh, in our family, we need time without electronics to be alone quietly. We need time to talk to each other, and we need time to be alone together. That's how we roll. Now, parents maintain the sacredness of these spaces. If the family table is a no device zone, do not bring your phone in there and take a picture of them and post it on your account. See, we're all eating together, right? Here's here's why I ask you not to do that. Teenagers and young people have tremendous pressure today. Everything about their lives is projected for all the world to see and judge. And when you, don't have, when you have a device-free zone at the family table, they can come in their sweats. They can come with no makeup. They don't have to care how they look because it's not going to be something all their friends or all their friends' parents are seeing. They can explore ideas and say stuff that's absolutely stupid. I don't know if you know this, but one of the things about the walk of uh, human maturity is that when we're 15, we sometimes say stupid things and have stupid ideas, And, and we say them about 100 or 200 times, and then we realize when we're 30 or 35, we go, well, that was stupid, right? It's just how life works, okay? But there ought to be time and space in your family so people can say the things that are stupid if it's projected out there all the time for everybody to see and judge, there's no safety in that, okay? Um, Now, I would say to students and young people, it's admirable to me that you want to be there for your friends. And I appreciate that you sleep with your phones and do all these other weird things, okay? Um, But sometimes, put the device literally away. If you've got a really good friend, say to them, "Right now, I want to be with you. I want to hang out. Everyone else can wait." When you do that, a light bulb may come on in your friend where they go, "Oh, I'm you're going to like no one else, just us." Ding! They may decide to put their phone away as well, but you need Sometimes, not all the time, but you need some times in your life, in the rhythms of your life, where you're, where you're with your friends without devices. Um, there are students, high school students and college students that go to these camps that ban devices And what they report is that at the end of camp, they feel ready for school again because they feel like they're free. They feel like they've been able to be with themselves. They've been able to have all kinds of conversations and do goofy stuff and just be. And they feel recharged and ready for all the ways they have to kind of put themselves out there and be judged socially and otherwise. I don't know if you know this, but our culture is very bad at this. We judge like fat shaming, parent shaming. I mean, we... We're all about shame in our culture, which is funny because we just sang about how with God, right, there's, we can approach him without any shame because of what Jesus has done. So young people, I would say to you, you need time in your life, and you got to decide when those spots are and when those times are. Um, adults, um, adults, let me say this. How many of you go to a meeting at the hospital or the school or whatnot? It's a meeting, a team meeting, key meeting, and your colleagues have their laptops out and they're catching up on email during the meeting. Does it, <laughs> I see a lot of, Man, I'm going to kill them. Why do we do this, right? Now, some of it is because there's some people out there who do not know how to run meetings, and they're running meetings. I get it, Okay. Send them my way, I can give them some best practices for running meetings. But apart from that, can you really come to a great team decision if everyone is only really half there? Wait, what? You can't. Um, there have been some amazing studies done in corporations. Uh, you actually now have CEOs that are banning devices in certain meetings. And uh, I I can't remember the name of the company but they did this experiment where they banned the devices in their uh, team meetings that had to do with sales and other things and they found that the productivity of that division skyrocketed because in the meeting people were actually just there (laughs) and not catching up on the gazillion emails that they had, okay? If you're battling with feelings of loneliness, you may not be getting enough real conversation Facebook isn't going to fix that. Once you've created spaces for real conversation, you know what else I would suggest? Solitude. I know some of you are going to buck this, but Jesus, this is recorded, before daybreak, the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. Fully God. What does God need to be alone for? Well, see, Jesus isn't just fully God, he's fully human and there's something about being human where you just need time alone with yourself paul Tillich puts it this way loneliness is the pain of being alone solitude is the glory of being alone i think if i explain the difference between blogging and diaries you'll get it Um, with blogging with blogging Anything that you do, there's all kinds of people now that blog as a way to kind of have a diary, but here's what happens. See, when it's a blog, it's out there. You can't really just be you or say anything because you're always thinking, what are people going to think? How are they going to respond? That's part of the dynamic of blogging. There's a reason that for the longest time, diaries had a physical lock and diaries were hidden. Do you wanna know why diaries and journals were hidden? Because it was a place where you could write down all the wonderfully glorious, ugly, all kinds of things that you thought and felt without having to be judged, and you could process it all there. Um, And so, again, for some of you, you may wanna take up journaling. I don't do that, but you may wanna journal. Uh, But you're definitely gonna wanna give yourself time alone. Uh, there, there have been several studies that show now that the killer ideas that happen uh, among our entrepreneur class they don't happen in these brainstorming meetings. They happen when somebody is spent some alone time and they get a aha eureka kind of experience. Um, there's a connection. Again, if I can go to my if I can go to my last slide, our smartphones and devices again they're not good. They're not evil. They're tools. But I want you to use these tools in ways that are humanizing. Okay? I'm not telling you to put them away and never have them out and never be on them. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying choose, choose and be intentional. So we're going to watch a film clip together, but while we're watching it, I want you to spend some time thinking about where in my life should I create space where I'm fully present? Where would I like that to be? Where do I need that? And for those of you that are families, maybe that's a conversation you should be having this week. When Team Ballard gets together, Team Tippy, Team Hall, when, when Team Osborne gets together, where, where for us, where for us do we want to be fully present and when is it okay to have our devices and be connected to everybody else? We need each other and we need each other to really be with each other, not all the time, but sometimes.